This message first aired on the radio on August 20th, 2003. The scriptures are able to make us wise. They're able to make us wiser than those who teach us if we'll pay attention to them. That's what David said. We know there are other important things to talk about or other interesting things to talk about. And occasionally we sidetrack for a few seconds on such things. In so doing, we know that we're taking up the word of life. We do that with some trepidation. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a bit of a fearful thing or an awesome thing to take up the word of God, especially, and to teach it and to broadcast it. The scripture tells us to be careful how we do that. And we're in an area of scripture where we see Moses, a man mighty in word and deed, that he was pretty careful. In fact, when God called him to speak in his behalf, Moses said, I can't speak. I have uh, some kind of learning disability or whatever it was he said. All of a sudden, he began to stammer and stutter and began to disqualify himself. But God provided for him, and God gave him that work to do. Now, Moses is perhaps the highest regarded figure in Judaism in the history of Israel. And we don't equate Israel with Judaism, by the way, not here. There are two Israels in the sight of God. There is Israel after the flesh, which are the descendant of Jacob, who's named Israel. And then there is the Israel of God, which is still of Israel, but it's not all of Israel. Not all they who are of Israel genetically are the Israel of God, but only those who are of Israel genetically whose circumcision is not in the flesh, but is of the heart, and who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And our purpose in this broadcast is to reach first the Jews. purpose of our broadcast, we hope, is to reach with the Word of God, which is the power of God, the Jew first, and in so doing also the Gentile, And we trust that if you're a Gentile, you won't get all in a huff about that because that is the scriptural formulation, and we believe it's still for today. Now, some things that aren't still for today are the subjects that we're taking up. Uh, We're taking up an overview of the dispensations of God. We have demonstrated, we trust, that looking at the Bible from a point of view of dispensations is a biblical thing to do. The apostle did it. We say there are uh, eight dispensations. Maybe there's more, maybe there's fewer, but that there are some is a matter of scriptural fact. Now, in the study of some of these things that aren't for us anymore, that aren't uh, happening uh, for for the Christian today, for the believer, or really even ever for the Gentile, we find a couple of things that are going on. One thing is we find Moses, who is the lawgiver. And in the discussion of this dispensation of law, uh, on which we will dwell for a few days, we want to be sure that we use the law lawfully. Bible says the law is good if it's lawfully used. So the law uh, has its lawful use, and it also has its unlawful use. And let me say that the lawful use of the law is to convict a sinner. The unlawful use of the law is to try to bring about the maturity of someone who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the law is only good as it's lawfully used, and one of the things we find is the unlawful use of the law, and boy, is that extensive. So that's one thing that the law does not apply today in many ways, 
and it has never applied to anyone to bring about their maturity or their salvation uh, or anything like that. Now, so the second thing that we're going to find today as we look in the Scriptures at the inauguration of the dispensation of law is that God is going to use signs and wonders. Now, we've been taking our cues from the New Testament as a way to address this difficult subject of this dispensation, which covers a period of time encompassed by the Scriptures from Exodus chapter 1 all the way, maybe we could say, all the way through the book of Acts. We're using as a guide the New Testament Scriptures, some of the New Testament Scriptures that interpret the Old Testament and that give sweeping overviews, especially we've been using Acts chapter 7, the preaching of Stephen. And we find this to be especially useful because it is one of the great, or if not the greatest, summarizations that are written in the Scriptures. And and secondly, we also know that it had a great influence on the Apostle Paul, despite the fact that when he heard it, he was consenting as a member of the Sanhedrin to the stoning of Stephen, which followed immediately thereafter. So we got through, for better or worse, verses uh, 17 through approximately 34 yesterday of Acts chapter 7, and then we went back into Exodus and we picked up a few of those things. Now we're going to take up, by way of review, we'll take up Acts 7 verses 29 through 39, and I want to begin by reading them. And here we find the rejection of Moses when he first came to the to his brethren in killing the Egyptian who was beating one of the Hebrews. When he did that, his neighbor, let me actually begin with verse 25. He supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And of course, this uh, speaks about Moses' difficult situation. It also speaks concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. They should have known when the Lord Jesus Christ came to Israel, they should have known that he was the Savior that he was the one prophesied, he fulfilled all the prophetic scriptures. They should have known that God, by the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, would deliver them, but they understood not. So those who who didn't understand, uh, and you say, well, wait a minute, they did understand. Well, there were some who understood, but there were very many who did not understand. And the Lord Jesus Christ said that as he hung on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Now, that was a legitimate and real statement. We talked about the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, the controversy around it. Those that crucified him did not know what they were doing because what they were really doing was fulfilling what God intended for them to do. But now, when the Lord Jesus Christ rose out from the dead, was uh, testified to by the many that were there and saw him, now, failure to understand is no longer there. God commands now men everywhere uh, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here, so they understood not that Moses would deliver them. And the next day he showed himself unto them, verse 26, as they strove, and would have sent them at one again, saying, Sirs, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one to another? Why do you do wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, that is, pushed away Moses, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? 
Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Now, who made Moses, it's a good question, who made Moses a ruler and a judge over the children of Israel? Well, Moses knew that that was going to be his job. That's why he believed, that. that's why he thought they would understand when he smote the Egyptian and rescued his brethren uh, from that man doing such misdeeds. But here, the question, who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Moses now here, knowing that was his role, I think prophetically knowing it, uh, I think Amram and Jochebed prophetically knew it, for they acted in faith. And uh, I think by faith Moses slew that Egyptian, but yet he doesn't have the personal commission of God yet. He's 40 years away from it. And so then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. And when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness in the mount, in, on Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight, and he drew near to behold it. The voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then the Lord said, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and am come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. And so the difference between Moses' first coming and Moses' second coming is that his brethren are prepared to receive him at his second coming. And this, again, a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. At his second coming, uh, his brethren, the Jews, will be prepared to receive him, and they'll look upon him whom they have pierced in the past. In the second visit, uh, at the second visit, all Israel will be saved as they receive him. So now Moses has this difficult task, and... Uh, they go to the people. It says uh, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 29, Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, that is, with the rod. You may recall in Exodus 4, uh, God told Moses, Thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. And so now, besides the law, we find something else that is not taking place today that we need to understand, and that is signs and wonders. If we come back here to Acts 7.35, it reads, This Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and deliver by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush, he brought them out after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. And so we find here wonders and signs, signs and wonders. We find referenced in the Bible these things. And, of course, the wonders and signs in the Bible are, are awe-inspiring stuff. They're intended uh, to get our attention they are a fact of very great controversy outside the Christian faith and within the Christian faith. And and they have their correspondence in, in the Bible, this uh, controversy about signs and wonders, except in one of its aspects. 
has ever been uh, swirling around the Bible. But if we look at the scriptures, we'll find that that awe-inspiring miracles, which are known to be signs and wonders, awe-inspiring miracles that have behind them, by the way, a meaning. Uh, They're not arbitrary. They're not merely to prove the power behind them, but also to teach something. But signs and wonders are not predominant in the Bible, contrary to what maybe some will tell you. In fact, uh, signs and wonders do not occur in the Bible very often. We could even say that there are only three times of signs and wonders in the Bible where they predominate. Now, there are a few exceptions to that, where occasionally there will be a sign or wonder also found here and there. But when signs and wonders are prolific, uh, they're really only in really three places in the Bible. The first place is at the time of the inauguration or the birth of the nation Israel. Here, the time of Moses, he worked signs. The one that followed after him, Joshua, also worked signs. This corroborates with what we're learning here in Acts chapter 7 in the commentary on the book of Exodus and Numbers, where it tells us he, that is Moses, brought them out, well, or God, excuse me, uh, God brought them out after he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. And that's, of course, an approximation of the 38 and a half years Israel was in the wilderness. And uh, God showed signs and wonders during the time of Moses and then also after that with the one who followed Moses, Joshua. Then again, uh, God showed Israel signs and wonders at the time of Elijah the prophet and the one who followed him, Elisha. And uh, this was when God was trying to call Israel from its whoredom uh, back to repentance, which, which happened very briefly through the ministry of Elijah and the one who followed him, Elisha, which is one ministry. We'll call it the ministry of Elijah, which Elisha participated in as his follower, just as we'll say the ministry of Moses, which Joshua followed after as his follower. And then finally, we find a period of signs and wonders during the time of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then by those who followed him, the apostles and friends, that's it. And since that time, there have not been signs and wonders. So here we are looking at signs and wonders. Now, God has given signs and wonders to Moses to perform. He gave them a rod. He said, wherewith that you'll do the signs. Of course, it's, it's called Aaron's rod. Aaron carries the rod. Moses and Aaron in the same ministry, Moses being his mouth. And Moses and Aaron that gathered the elders, the children of Israel, and he said, this is what God told me to do. And they did some signs in front of the people to demonstrate that God truly sent them. And so we see something about the purpose of signs and wonders. And I want to tell you this, and I know there are many or plenty who somehow don't believe this, but there are not signs and wonders happening today. There aren't. Signs and wonders are are marvelous workings of awe. They're indisputable evidences of the power of God 
contrary to what we see in normal, everyday life. It is God underscoring who his messengers are. And that is not, in fact, not only is it not necessary today, it is important today that there not be signs and wonders. I want to repeat that. It is important today that there not be any signs and wonders by God. He's not doing that. When we see signs and wonders in the Scripture, it is God doing a new thing. And God is not doing a new thing today. In fact, God is doing today the same thing he began to do after the time of the apostles, which is have the word of God taught to Jews and Gentiles alike, that whosoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved and will become part of the body of Christ or part of the church, which is his body, whether universally or locally expressed. And I want to make an emphasis of that because as we look at the period of time here when God is creating the nation of Israel, it is marked by signs and wonders. It's important that that period be so marked, just as it was important when God begins the next dispensation after, when he begins the church, which is his body, and he begins the dispensation of that, that it is also marked by signs and wonders. In fact, I'll just now read out of the book of Hebrews, uh, uh, chapter 2, where it talks uh, to us, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should drift away from them. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and the word spoken by angels will happen uh, in Sin- at Mount Sinai when Moses gets the law, that will be the word spoken by angels, if it was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us or established unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. And so we see that God confirmed the messengers, his messengers, and that was the apostles. If you look at Mark 16, it tells us, These signs shall follow them that believe. And then it gives a list of signs and wonders that follow them that believe, and yet it's not doesn't say all of them who believe. It just says them who believe. We put that together with Hebrews chapter 2, and we realize that the signs and wonders followed the apostles to in order that they could establish unto us, or those that followed, as those who heard the Lord, they could establish unto us the good news. Now, friends, the good news was established well before I came along and well before you came along. We live in a late date. We live in a period of time where God has spoken to us. He's done speaking. God God spoke in times past in diverse manners to the to the fathers through the prophets. He spoke to the children of Israel during this time that we're taking up, during the time of the law. He spoke to them through Moses. He spoke to them through Aaron. 
we we've seen the diverse ways in which he spoke. He spoke to Abraham, for example, in the previous dispensation by visions and by dreams, and he came in a theophany and spoke to him. And he spoke to Isaac, and he spoke to Jacob in a dream and in a vision, and he came in a theophany to wrestle with him. And so God spoke in diverse manners at many different ways, different times in many different ways, to the fathers through the prophets. He has already spoken to us in his Son. And one of the great and grand truths is the silence of God today. God is silent today. That is, he is no longer saying anything new because he has spoken. And if you'll take the right perspective on this, you'll quit looking for signs and wonders. You'll quit looking for bizarre, for, for unusual, I won't say bizarre, but unusual workings of God. You'll quit looking for that. Faith is not sight. Those are things you see with your ears, or see with your eyes, or hear with your ears. These are not what comprise faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God and not by seeing signs and wonders. The Lord said an evil and adulterous generation looks for a sign. When the Lord Jesus Christ was before Herod in that in his passion, Herod looked for some sign or miracle. The Lord gave him none. The, the Lord is not doing those things, and the fact that he's not doing those things makes us very comfortable to realize that we have the entire Word of God. And so if we have the entire Word of God, let's quit looking for signs and wonders. And don't you believe it when people give you the reports about it. When it comes to a sign or a wonder, seeing truly is believing. When it comes to the faith that is in Jesus Christ, it is hearing the Word of God. But signs and wonders have their place. And and so we also have the problem with those who think they know everything, those worldly-minded know-it-alls who, who try to explain away by natural means the signs and wonders that God did give to us. So we have to find ourselves negotiating the middle ground where we believe what the Word of God says, but we don't believe the reports of men that God is still doing miracles and signs today. He's just not doing that. Now, does that mean that we understand all of how God works today? No, we don't. People today worship at the words of men. I had a friend tell me today that someone he knew was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Now, I don't know who the guy Alzheimer is. I know that that's a very vague disease that people talk about when uh, we get older and, and certain things of our mind begin to, to flake out. And it's supposed to be this or that, or somebody's diagnosed with cancer, and it turns out that they don't have it, or somebody says they're healed with it. Friends, sometimes the doctors are just wrong. Shall I say most of the time they're wrong? I'm going to say that. I'm going to say, I, I, can't, I guess I can't say all the time. That would be outrageous. But most of the time they're wrong, and the less they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the more wrong they get. And, boy, if I got started on that theme, if we started talking about doctors and the Bible, and, you know, even this is a live broadcast, we could get some of them on to deny uh, God right right on the air. Boy, I'd really get going then. But that's not my theme today. My theme today now is that God is arranging by great judgment and a high hand to bring Israel out of Egypt. And I want to say there's pro pro prophetic significance in that. God will one day demonstrate Israel as his one nation under God in glory. And that day is yet coming. And he will do that 
by bringing awful and terrible judgments upon the world uh, just as he judges the gods of Egypt. So when we look here at the way that God is deciding to take Israel out, he knows he's got a Pharaoh who hates him. The Lord tells Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. Pharaoh hardens his heart, and he knows that, and God knows that he'll do that. In fact, God knows from the beginning and even tells Moses that he'll bring the firstborn judgment on Egypt, which is the last of the plagues he brings upon them. We have the incidents here as we see Pharaoh as a vessel, really a vessel of wrath, through whom God also gets glory by making him known to us. So now Moses and Aaron, having the compliance of the children of Israel, having them agree that they should go before Pharaoh, begin to go before Pharaoh to demand, to give God's demand to Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go, they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Later God will say that they may serve me in the wilderness. So this demand is not an extensive demand. In fact, all it says is, let my people go, that they may hold a feast. And But it is a demand. It is a demand. It's not a request. God is not making a request to Pharaoh. God does not recognize sovereignty of men over himself. He demands it. These are my people. Let them go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. Neither will I let Israel go. Now here, the name of the Lord, the Tetragrammaton said, we can say it's Jehovah. We can we can say it that way. We can say Yahweh if somebody wants to say that way. Or we can just say the Lord, like your King James Bible does, all capital letters. He said, I don't know who this is, and I'm not going. Why should I obey? I'm not going to obey his voice. Why should I obey his voice? And they said, that is Moses and Aaron said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. This is Exodus 5, and we see the the resistance of Pharaoh as he has a hard heart toward God. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do you, Moses and Aaron, let the people let the people from their works get you unto your burdens? And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, no more give to these people straw to make brick as heretofore. Let them go and get their own straw. And the tail of the bricks, which they did make heretofore, you shall lay upon them. You will not diminish aught thereof, for they be idle. And therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. And so now we see Pharaoh not hearkening to the word of God. And of course, like those who don't hearken to the word of God, when God commands all men everywhere to change their mind and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, men refuse to believe. They speak evil of the Lord Jesus Christ. They fail to believe in him. And at first, God does nothing, and they embolden themselves. And in fact, let me tell you, when you hear the word of God, such as you hear the word of God preached on Christian radio, or maybe you even hear it in your church, I don't know, or uh, somewhere else. Maybe you hear it from a co-laborer who's talked to you about the Lord Jesus Christ or a fellow student. 
or something something some someone like that and you refuse to hear when you harden your heart god may visit you by hardening your heart even further that is what he does with pharaoh pharaoh decides to hard his heart, harden his heart and the lord joins him and says okay fine i'll harden your heart and this is what men do they they see that god is not judging them immediately when they reject him and so they they begin to harden their heart against god and they become more and more emboldened sinners and this is exactly what pharaoh does here he says who is this jehovah where why should i do what uh, he says these people why there's no reason for me to let these people go these are just a bunch of lazy people these are just a bunch of people objecting to the slavery which we've put them in uh, i'll make it even worse for them and he says you're idle you're idle therefore you say go and do sacrifice unto the lord but now i'm going to make your work harder and he in fact persecutes the children of israel even more he leaves their burden to be the same and he refuses them the resource of straw they have to go find their own and of course now the children of Israel uh, being what the, who they are and let me just say that God reminds us in the scripture he did not choose Israel because they were some kind of nice people and he didn't choose me cuz I'm a nice guy and he didn't choose you because you're a nice guy God chooses whom he chooses for his own purpose to bring himself glory and isn't it great news that it really doesn't have anything to do with being a nice person or a good person or anything like that jesus christ came in the world to save sinners of whom the apostle paul is first but i feel like i'm right there close behind him now the children of israel uh, the kind of people they are they agreed moses and aaron okay god sent you uh, great they saw the signs and wonders now they, it gets worse for them, and they say, you have made it worse for us. You have made us abhorred. Uh, you've made us to stink. Actually, they say, you've made us to stink in Pharaoh's eyes. Now, this is an interesting statement they make. After all, they stunk in Pharaoh's eyes. Interesting statement, stink in his eyes. They stunk in Pharaoh's eyes way before Moses and Aaron went to talk to Pharaoh. He just verified who it is that he is. And now these people, you see their resistance to suffer together. And this is so, I might even put it this way, this is so Christian. As soon as spiritual warfare breaks out against one and against one of us or all of us together we begin to turn and tear each other to pieces just exactly what the bible says not to do so moses now turns to the lord and he said now why has this happened you're making it difficult for me to lead these people and the lord said well you just be patient you see i am bringing judgment upon pharaoh and he needs to become he needs to become full of his own wickedness so you be patient and this is a subtle truth here that that we need to know we need to realize that not only has god been patient with us but that god is getting glory through the resistance of the unbelieving and we suffer patiently the hatred of the world we know that the world the whole world lies in the evil one and the whole world lie, hates our Lord Jesus Christ and every aspect of his redemption. 
and so we bear up under uh, the the uh, enmity against us that's in the world. We bear up under it patiently, making room for the vengeance and wrath of God. Well, Moses and Aaron are going to go back in front of Pharaoh several times, and Moses tells Aaron, look, when Pharaoh says unto you, show me some miracle, throw the rod down in front of him. In Exodus chapter 7, verse 9, it will become a serpent. But that word for serpent there is not actually the the, the same, arnechash. It's not really the word for serpent. Some would say it is the name for a crocodile. So, so certainly a devouring reptile. And Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast his rod down before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became this devouring reptile. And then Pharaoh called on the wise men and the sorcerers, the magicians of Egypt also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents, the same, devouring reptiles. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart that he listened not unto them, just as the Lord had said. Now I want to say a few things about the enchantments and the magic and the sorcery of this world. The sorcery and magic and enchantments of this world are obviously powerful. The Bible records that these magicians were able to replicate, in a way, after a fashion, the same miracle that God did. And there will come a day when all kinds of false signs and wonders will be worked by the man of sin through Satan and will lead away uh, those who look for such things. Now, I don't believe that that will lead away Christians. I don't think Christians will be around for that time. But let me say that this is sight and not faith, and you are totally it is totally reliable for you to believe the Word of God in any circumstance, but there are times when you cannot believe your very eyes. The Scriptures are more reliable than sight, and that is the advantage sometimes that the blind man has, that he depends, really can dep- he won't depend on his sight. When I am weak, then am I strong. So now Pharaoh, you see the hardness of Pharaoh hearts, Pharaoh's heart. He refuses to let the people go. The sign, first sign, the sign of the rod that uh, Moses and Aaron give, because it's replicated by Pharaoh's uh, magicians and sorcerers, he emboldens himself to just harden his heart. So God now begins to bring judgments one at a time on the gods of Egypt. Actually, each judgment corresponds to a god of Egypt. We're not going to take all that up in this overview. Maybe another time we'll be able to do that. But he brings upon one after another plagues upon Egypt. The first plague he brings upon the River Nile which is one of the gods of Egypt behind the River Nile, is no doubt some wicked spirit, at least in ancient Egypt that was the case, that built that worship of the river. The first plague that is brought is the the waters turn to blood. Of course, before that happens, God through Moses and Aaron says, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. You haven't listened so far, and if you don't let my people go, we will 
turn the river to blood, and the fish are going to die. And Moses and Aaron did so, it tells us in Exodus chapter uh, 7, verse 20. They did as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. All the waters that were in the river turned to blood, and the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all of the land of Egypt. But again, here, the Egyptian magicians uh, did the same thing with their enchantments, and so Pharaoh's heart was hardened against that. Well, one after the next of these plagues takes place. The second plague in Exodus chapter 8 is one of frogs, where frogs become bounding all over the land of Egypt, and the magicians do the same thing, and Pharaoh hardens his heart. And then a third plague, this now, lice are brought forth, and but this time, uh, on the third plague, in, in Exodus chapter 8, uh, verse 16 and following, when God brings lice from nothing out of the smiting of the rod, of Aaron's rod, he smites the dust of the earth, and out of dust come lice, actually life from inanimate matter. Now we're at the end of the religion of the sorcerers of Pharaoh, and yet even though his religion can't satisfy his lust, even though he doesn't find an answer in his private religion to the Word of God, which men do, even though he can't find that, he still hardens his heart. And then God continues to have plagues. There's a plague of flies. And now God even begins to bring these plagues upon the Egyptians, but preserves his own people from having the plagues, so that there are flies in Egypt and the rest of Egypt, but no flies in in Goshen, and then he brings a, a moraine or a bleeding of cattle to the cows of Egypt, their their prized possessions. Again, they're not done in in the land of Goshen, and so God begins to judge Pharaoh, and He begins to judge also the gods of Pharaoh. And I want to say something about what God is going to do. Yes, God is going to bring great judgments in the earth. But God is not merely judging the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't merely cleanse us from our sins. He did totally cleanse us from our sins, but he also cleansed the heavenly places. And God is not only going to judge the men and women of this world, he's also going to raise up a judgment of the angels that are above them. And this, by the way, is one of the privileges that God gives to his heavenly people, the church which is his body. And if you don't know that, then you need to read the scripture where it says in in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, what, don't you know that you will judge angels? And so God brings one plague after the next. He brings a plague of, of boils. He brings a plague of hailstones. He brings a plague of locusts. And then he brings a plague of darkness. And uh, that darkness is, is a horrible a plague, actually. It, it says that the darkness is so dark it could even be felt. And Moses, in Exodus chapter 10, verse 22, stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. Yet all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. And I want to just say something about that. Well, this was a literal sign of wonder. It was dark in Egypt, but it was light in Goshen. 
amazingly so, uh, or wherever the children of Israel, even though they'd been dispersed throughout Egypt now, chasing after straw, wherever the children of Israel were, it would be light in the middle of darkness. And God has done that spiritually today, friends. You are in darkness till now, until the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ comes to your understanding. And God is, though it's a spiritual thing, and though it's not a literal something that you can see with your eyes, you can come to understand it, that those of us who have received the Lord Jesus Christ have received light on on the on the way things really are in the world, on the fate of man, on the future of man, on the nature of God, on the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, and everyone else is in darkness. And this caused great trouble in Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he still doesn't let the people go. And finally, uh, the Lord bring, says to Moses, I'm going to bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt, Afterwards, he'll let you go hence, and when he'll let you go, he will throw you out altogether. So not only is Pharaoh, the Lord says, not only will he will he let you go, he's going to throw you out altogether. Speak now in the ears of the people, Exodus 11, 2, and let every man receive of his neighbor. It says, the, 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 or ask of his neighbor. Uh, here, the word is borrow. It's an un- improper word in the King James Version. Let him ask of your neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver, jewels of gold. And the Lord gave the people grace or favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and they gave them of their substance. And so the Lord now says, about midnight, I will go into the midst of the Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sits upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and of all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there never was, nor shall there ever be any like it. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And I want to tell you something, friends. God puts a difference between those who have received the Lord Jesus Christ, his heavenly people, and those who have not. And God still has a difference between the Egyptians or any Gentiles and Israel. Not here in the case of of present tense favor, but in the sense that the word of God still goes to Israel, and Israel will still be God's chosen nation. Of course, Pharaoh's not going to pay any attention to this. The Lord prophesies or tells Moses, doesn't prophesy, he tells Moses, and Moses will prophesy, Pharaoh shall not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. And now we have Exodus 12 and the institution of the Passover. Here it reads is Exodus chapter 12. This now is the birth of, of Israel. Israel is here going to be born in the nation of Egypt. And it'll be born in a day, and here's the day. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. I'm reading in Exodus chapter 12. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for the house. 
And if the house be too little for the lamb, that is the household, if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall you make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And I just want to dwell on this for a minute. I just want to dwell on this for a minute, because here there is still, probably in every country, in every major city, even in most little towns, you'll find Jews uh, getting together and trying to to do the Passover. I'll just say to do the Passover. But of course, the Passover is not left for anyone to do anymore. The Passover has been fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I have these discussions uh, with Jewish friends, they tell me, well, the Passover is on the begins really on the 14th day of the month, and then the 15th day of the month, and we don't know, it might be, maybe it's seven days, some here in America, we think it's seven days in Israel, some think it's eight days, and so forth. And I always ask them, well, what about the lamb? What about the lamb? What about the lamb for the house beginning on the 10th day, and four days abiding in the house? Where is your lamb? Before the Passover, where's your lamb? And here we know a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. And here the lamb is to be in the house for four days, four thousand years. Four thousand years after Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ came. But there's no lamb for the house today, because the lamb of God has already come. And the lamb of God has already fulfilled the Passover. Well, here now it reads, And you shall take of the blood, Verse 7, Exodus 12, Take of the blood, strike it on the two side posts, and on the upper door post of the house, wherein they shall eat. They shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, and unleavened bread. With bitter herb shall they eat it. Eat it not raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roasted with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until morning you burn with fire." Thus you shall eat with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. Now, here we find the object of what God's judgment is. He's judging the leaders and the gods behind the leaders in Egypt, but he brings to pass the Passover. We read in Scripture, Christ our Passover is sacrificed. His blood speaks better than the blood of Abel. We are under his blood. Just as the children of Israel came under the blood in the land of Egypt, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you come under the blood, and God will save you in the bondage in which you find yourself today. Remember the children of Israel cried out because of their bondage, because they were slaves in Egypt? Friend, you're in bondage. You're in the bondage of sin. You know that repeated sin, the one you can't shake? You know that, that sin that you do even though you thought, I should quit doing that? Uh, the sin of bondage that you're in? God will save you right there through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ who died for you. And that's the best note we can end today. We'll see you again tomorrow.